Welcome to This Week in Sparkling Water. My name is Joachim Eriksson, and I will be your host. Here in America, the election is less than two weeks away. And I will try not to talk about that. But it is difficult. The election is like this asteroid thing that's going to hit your planet and... When it gets close enough, it blocks out everything else. But that's fine. Let me talk about something else. Let me try to comment on something small that happened to me in the last 24 hours. So I guess the only way to start explaining this is to start from the beginning, which is seven years ago, I was living in this city in China called Hangzhou. And on the social media app of choice back then, WeChat, someone posted a picture of fried chicken. It was like four pictures of fried chicken, just like, you know, chicken on a plastic tray, you know, fast food chicken, but it looked real good. Even though it was like a shitty photo, it just looked real good. And the guy was like, oh my God, there's finally a Popeye's chicken in Hangzhou on Hongmei Lu. And I remember I commented on it and I was like, whoa, where on Hongmei Lu is there a, a Popeye's? Because I Googled it and I was like... Sounds real good. And I don't know. I got it in my head that I wanted to try it. And the guy didn't respond. And then it could have ended there. But somehow I wanted to find it. And he didn't respond. And I messaged him. And I messaged him again. And I commented again. And and there was nothing. And so I ended up just having a day off. And me and the woman I was married to at the time, we got bicycles. Because in... In Hangzhou, they had a really, really nice uh, municipal uh, city government run uh, bike sharing program. We get these little shareable bikes and, and we're biking over to Hongmeilu. And then we just bike all the We go to the absolute end of the street. And then we bike 30 blocks down the street looking for it. And we don't see it. But the problem is that we passed all these malls and stuff. So... It really felt like, what if it's just in one of these malls? And okay, let me just take a step back and say that I had obviously Googled it before going on the bike. But the thing about China is that there's a lot of things that aren't Googleable. Like, there's just stuff on the street that you see that's like, there's no, there's no website. Like, you can Google what that store is called and you're not going to get a hit. Like, there's not, there's nothing. It's a bigger disconnect. Let me think about this. There are a lot of things in China that are ungoogleable. Why? I think language is part of it. It's um, when a foreign concept is introduced. In the beginning, there isn't much consensus on what to call it in Chinese, which sounds in Chinese that we're going to use to represent this foreign word. And then once you've decided on the sounds, there isn't much consensus on which characters to use to represent those sounds. So you end up with, you know, when Donald Trump becomes president in the beginning there, there's like 20 different names for Trump in Chinese. And then as time goes by, it all consolidates down and you end up with one or two or three, like you end up with the formal one and then you up, end up with a couple of nicknames and maybe a couple of casual ones. And and it's like, um, you end up with a name for it. But in the beginning, that there's everyone has their own little interpretation of just how they write it in Chinese. And that doesn't help when you're trying to search for something on the internet. So like Popeye's, who knows what Popeyes is called in Chinese? Like now, in the year 2020, I just read that they actually opened their first flagship store in Shanghai during the pandemic, actually. Um, so now I'm sure it has a Chinese name, but, you know, it didn't when two years, seven years before they opened their first store, they, they sure didn't have a Chinese name. So made it very hard to Google it. And then also, it's... Oh, I've always thought about this. Why does... So... Baidu is the big search engine in China, and it really sucks, and I've always wondered why. First of all, it's a little bit of a sensitive thing to talk about because when you are learning Chinese and when you use Baidu and when you don't get any of your results, like you never find anything, in the beginning it's easy to think that it's because your Chinese sucks, so you don't want to admit it to anyone. You don't want to say to anyone like, 
oh, I was trying to find this thing on the internet and I couldn't find it because you feel like it's because you suck. But then eventually, and I'm sure many people have this experience, eventually you talk to someone about it and you you might carefully start saying it and be like, you know, have you ever noticed how a Baidu kind of like doesn't come up with any search results that make sense? And then people will be like, yes, yes, I have noticed this. Baidu fucking sucks. And then when you open those floodgates, <laughs> when two foreigners talk about how Baidu sucks, quickly, yeah. Um, I guess we take Google for granted. Google Google is so magical. Like Google just is magical. Google is this thing where you you type one word and then whatever you were thinking, it just has somehow it's triangulated the day of the week and everything that you've been going through and your whole ecosystem of technology and it's listening to you on all your devices and it knows what you're thinking about and you just type one word and then it'll guess the whole phrase that you were going to that you were going to type and it'll get you the result immediately. It's like so magical. And in ba and Baidu is not like that. Baidu never finds you anything you want to find. And um, partly I feel like it's intentional, that there's a political thing where there's just something about having a perfectly functioning search engine that really... I don't know, maybe the party, maybe the Chinese Communist Party in China feels like that's a threat to have a perfect search engine because then you can always connect with all the other people that are protesting all the other government things and you can get all the bad news because there are certain things that the Chinese government is trying to do on the internet. They're trying to suppress bad news. If there's factory explosions all the time and if there's western chinese uyghur muslim terrorist attack all the time terrorist attacks then they they want those things to not come out they they don't want you to have all the information about that stuff so part of the chinese communist party internet opacity is to not have a fully functioning search engine and i don't know if that's true but i have that feeling and i know that that's definitely true when it comes to maps the Chinese Communist Party has a long history since its birth, since its inception in the 1940s. There's been a long history of not allowing citizens to see maps, complete maps, all maps. Like, you don't want everyone to have access to all the maps. So this thing that we take for granted, Google Maps, where you can, where Google Maps is constantly trying to add more detail to the, you know, you have street view on everything now where you can you can go and see anything that i mean Go baidu maps is better and it's getting better and when it comes to traffic and when it comes to getting you where you want to go and when it comes to directions and when it comes to you know giving you super updated information on what are the traffic conditions here and there and the weather conditions and that stuff works and and, you know, there are complicated, very high, highly sophisticated 3D maps of malls. Like when you're just looking at your Baidu Maps app in China and you get to a mall, suddenly the mall will sort of open up on the map and just become this 3D thing where you can go between the different floors of the mall and see where each store is located in a 3D thing. Like, yes, some parts of it are very sophisticated and some parts of it work very well. But then there's this other aspect to it where, like, Jiang Zemin, the old premier, he has, like, a, a villa somewhere in downtown Shanghai and no one knows where. And somehow the Communist Party has manipulated all the maps in downtown Shanghai to make it seem like that spot doesn't exist. And no one knows. Like, there's a sort of you know like platform five and a half like in harry potter where there's just something that doesn't really make sense where they just make it invisible and jang zemin is living on made up street four and a half somewhere in downtown shanghai and it doesn't appear on any maps and that thing of having things that don't appear on maps is very prevalent in china and has always been prevalent. And all maps that have been published in the last 70 years have been manipulated somehow. And I just feel like that thing that they're doing with maps, they're also doing it with search results.
What I mean is that I think they manipulate all search results. Because everyone knows that if you go to China and you get on the biggest Chinese search engine, Baidu, and you search for Falun Gong or democracy or free Taiwan or free Hong Kong, that those search results are obviously uh, manipulated. Like if you search for free Taiwan on Baidu, you don't get any search results. What you get is just this like standard line of text where it says, because of local regulation, you can't search for this. Like that's what it says. And you get zero results. What I'm saying is bigger. What I'm saying is I feel like the government has said to Baidu that search engines should suck. People shouldn't have this expectation that you can search and find things. So make all search results suck so that people don't live their lives with this expectation that you can easily find whatever piece of information you want to find because they want to create that sort of basic atmosphere of if you whenever you have something you want to learn about and you've man and you can't learn about it then you just accept that at face value which is honestly like that was the situation for everyone until fairly recently that this situation where we walk around with these phones in our pockets where you can write any question into this phone and get perfect, like scary, perfect answers immediately. Like that's new. That's not what it was like for most of human history. Um, and the Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party is not comfortable with that being the assumption. Anyway, a little bit of a tangent, but... I couldn't find any information about Popeyes online and I felt like that didn't mean that it doesn't exist. You know, because it's a different context. I don't know. There was a couple of news articles that came up about Popeyes having plans of opening Chinese locations, but I didn't get I didn't get the info. I didn't find the address. So I'm I'm biking up and down these street. I'm, I bike all the way up the street. I don't find it. So then we bike back the whole thing again. And now we stop at every mall. And yeah, we spent many, many hours on this. And we biked the whole thing twice. And we didn't find it. And then I got home and I commented on the post. And I was like, bro, I just biked all the way up and down Hongmei Lu. Hongmei Street twice and I didn't find it and he commented on it and it was like bro it's just joking and there was there is no Popeyes in in Hangzhou there's no Popeyes Louisiana fried chicken kitchen whatever it's called it doesn't exist in China especially not in Hangzhou something about that stuck with me because that that type of joke is it's a type of joke that's very few people partake in that type of comedy, but I actually think that's my type of comedy. <laughs> like, I <laughs> I really like jokes like that, where it's an in-joke just with yourself. There's no audience, and you do it on social media, and no one thinks it's funny. And it might have a couple of victims. And he commented on it and, and was just blown away that someone had looked at his fake his post where he's pretending like there is Popeye's chicken in China and someone had taken it so seriously that they had decided to spend four hours biking up and down the street. But so that's what happened. I never met the guy. I don't know who the guy is. He would just post weird pictures of like dead animals and he was a weird guy. On social media, he was a weird guy. But... It sparked something within me where I felt like, well, I have to try Popeye's. Yeah, okay. It's called Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. Anyway, so then, you know, what do you know? I moved to America and I'm living in Seattle. And the thing about Seattle is that it doesn't do chain restaurants. Like there's like two McDonald's in this whole city. There's like a Wendy's. There's nothing. So there's no Popeye's in the, in the city. There is a Popeye's like four cities over down in Renton, you know, Popeye's, and, um, but then in California once, I, um, I remember I saw it from the train, yeah, but I didn't, I didn't get to try it, 
And then um, in Chicago once, I remember taking an Uber from downtown. I was hanging out with my friend Carl, and I was sitting in the back seat, and it was raining. And, and through this heavy rain, I could see the, I could see the sign. I, there was a Popeye's Louisiana kitchen, and we drove past it. And the thing about an Uber is you can't tell the guy to pull over, you know? You can't tell the guy to hit the drive through real quick. It just doesn't work. It's not on the menu in an Uber. So I didn't get to try it. I think I actually talked to the Uber driver a little bit about it, but he, I, I didn't want to impose. But I, because I've had an Uber driver offer to take me through drive through like when they kind of felt like eating, I guess. <laughs> but he didn't offer. You know, that reminds me of um, this Uber driver I had two days ago. So... So every day I like step out on the street and I tap work and it calls an Uber to work. But that time, two days ago, I got out of work. I, um, I called an Uber. He shows up after like six, seven minutes and I get in the car and then he asks me where I'm going, which is not something they ever ask because it's right there in the app. But it was revealed to both of us in at that moment that I had put the I had tapped the wrong one I was at work and I had called an Uber to go to work it was a point a to point a ride and then I'm sitting in the back seat and I'm like oh and I I say well you're already here first of all I apologized and then I said that I um, since he's already here can I just give him like 10 or 15 bucks and he'll take me home he didn't respond to that he told me to to call it again and then he'd get the request and then we could go. And I was like, could I, is there any chance I could just give you cash? And because to me, that seems like such a, such a nice offer because like, then he doesn't have to pay anything to Uber. But he wasn't even, he didn't even respond to my offer. Instead, he was really, really focusing on how he keeps going. For this to work, you have to stand outside of the car. And I was like, what are you talking about? I have to stand outside of the car. I'm sitting in the back seat. And he's like, um, you have to stand outside of the car and call an Uber and then it'll be me. And I'm like, I don't really, what? You think it's so specific that if I'm four feet over to the right, it's going to be different? And there was this weird vibe. I was getting this weird vibe where it was a real bad vibe in this car. So I get my app out and I'm calling a new one, right? And I, I listen to him, I just follow orders, and I just step out, and I close the door. And the second I close the door, he just he just floors it and just speeds off. <laughs> and I, I'm calling an Uber, and it connects with someone else, and he just drove off. It was, it was a weird thing, because he didn't tell me, okay, this is not going to work. You're not going to get connected to me again, so uh, would you please just step out of my car? He was making up this story of how if I just stand next to his car, it'll work. And then he can give me a ride. But I have to stand outside of the car. And he's like lying to me in this weird way. I don't know. It, it, um, I think he was pissed off because the way it works for them is they, they get called that there's a rider at a location that wants to go somewhere. And they don't know how long of a ride that rider wants to is requesting they can drive far to a to a rider and then that rider can want to go just like five blocks and then this is clearly like the, a worst case scenario that you drive for seven minutes and then you get to a guy and he wants to go 20 feet you know and then he must have had experiences with people that make this mistake of calling an Uber to the wrong place or having to cancel or, and then not wanting to get out of the car. Because he was very, he acted like he was ready to fight, but he was trying to control himself. And it's like, why? You can just tell me that you want me to get out of your car. Anyway, that's just something that happened to me 48 hours ago that kind of, honestly, it, it was like 11 p.m. And for the rest of the night, I just like didn't feel right. Because he had a weird vibe to him. But anyway, <clears throat> what was I saying? Yeah, about Popeyes. 
I saw a Popeyes in Chicago from the back of an Uber. That's what I was saying. And then um, two months ago when I was in, um, when I was going to South Carolina, I had a connection in Atlanta and I, I went three terminals over, not even to the terminal I was supposed to go to just because there was a Popeyes there. But then it was closed. Oh, ridiculous. But um, the point of the story is that yesterday I um, drove down to Renton and, and had Popeyes. I had Popeyes for the first time. And, yeah, I don't have a lot to say about the actual food at Popeyes. It was very normal. It was very much like, um, well, so here's the thing, I guess. KFC in America sucks. For some reason, they mess it up. The quality of the chicken is really bad. They just hire really the sort of sketchiest people you could imagine. But what I'm used to, KFC in China, is actually a pretty good, um, it's a pretty good piece of chicken, KFC in China. It's just like a small Chinese chicken, lots of batter on there, pretty flavorful. I don't know. Seems like there was originally a recipe, and in China they follow that recipe, whereas in America they kind of lost control of it all. And ironically, I guess, Popeyes in America tastes just like KFC in China. So, because I had had KFC in China maybe 300 times, you know, when I, when I heard about this Popeyes back in Hangzhou. I don't know. Is that a full circle? Probably not. You know... KFC is not the biggest fast food place and fast food chain in America, but in China it is the by far the biggest one. It's interesting. I th I have this theory that they are the most successful fast food chain in China because they have really localized hardcore. Like the menu, the KFC menu in China is like the me the menu changes a lot and it has a lot of things on it, and it's things like like sometimes they're serving like a plate with a scoop of rice and a couple of pieces of deep fried shrimp and then that's all slathered in like a pink sauce you know just like what is that even the sauce is called bacon sauce i remember this one time i just saw a plate of food that was kind of similar but the sauce was a different color and what it said on the menu it was called western food <laughs> i really appreciate the how humbling it is to have not even your entire civilization even bigger like all white civilizations boiled down into one thing and that we have one food item and it's a plate of food and also that plate of food has rice on it. So it's not like, because that's how we treat exotic foreign things, you know? Like you end up with, you end up with Panda Express and you end up with a plate of food and we call it Chinese food and most of the stuff on the thing that we call Chinese food is not even Chinese and it's also extremely, it's like a mix of simplification and corruption. But we all do that to each other, you know? So I'm not saying that we're doing anything wrong when we make an, a nice plate of food for ourselves and call it Panda Express and call it Chinese food. It's fine, you know? Because in China, you can get a plate of food and it can say Western food and, and it can have rice on it, you know? I mean, in China, KFC will have like, they'll have a big soup of spice, like a spicy soup with skewers in it. Like just shit that you do not think of as KFC food. Lots of sandwiches, lots of different seafood, lots of different sauces, gravy, you know? And then, you know, the um, thing that's been going on in the news recently is that KFC has decided to introduce this new dish called Luosifen, which is, um, it's a soup noodle where the broth is made with snail slime. And it's one of these things that I never tried because I think my relationship with weird food in China is that when I first got there, I was, I was feeling adventurous. Um, and I remember my absolute first night in China, um, I met my f this guy's brother, my friend Steve in, in Sweden told me to meet his brother in China. So I meet his brother, Alex, and the first night he brings me to Hot Pot and we have dog, dog. Like there was Hot Pot, 
there was an entire dog carcass in the hot pot. It's like an upside down little dog. And I see the rib rib cage of the dog upside down with the ribs sticking up. And I tried it and it wasn't very good. And, you know, I never had dog again, but I had dog there. And then I tried a lot of weird shit. You know, I had cow butthole one time in Korea. Just like a, it's like a little barbecue, like a charcoal barbecue in the middle of the table. And they bring out all these different types of meat. And then they bring out the flagship thing of this restaurant. And it's the butthole of a cow. And um, it's just like a little tube, very chewy. And when you bite down on it, all this fat just squirts out in your mouth. And then you chew in on this really, really strong, rubbery tube for a long time. Gross. Totally not good. Um, you know, I had a lot of weird food. But then um, something like five years in, I just, I've, I had very few of those weird things had been good. And I just was done with it. I was done with weird food. So for like the next five years in China, I just never tried weird food. So I, there are many things I just ended up never trying. Like I don't think I've ever had chicken feet. And yeah. And then Luo Fun is this thing where I remember when I met Megan, the woman I ended up marrying, she was living in this alley in Beijing and down in the alley, they had this really famous Luo Fun place. And she would crave that shit often. And I would be like, yeah, let's go try it. And you know when you're like <laughs> in the beginning of a relationship and you want to, not that you want to impress the person, but you really want to, you'll acquiesce to anything. You you want to make that person happy and you'll go out of your way to make that person happy. So I went with her to this restaurant many times, but I go with her to make her happy, but I never actually order anything and I just sit there. <laughs> So she's having this soup noodle and loving it. And she's like talking about her soup noodle. Like the fact that it's made with this like snail slime gives it this incredible texture and this incredible, um, you know, viscous quality, just like deep flavor. And I'm just like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> you know, I'm good. I don't need snail slime. I'm good. I'm just going to go have a sandwich, you know. I'm going to go have some Mexican food down the street here. And um, now KFC is going to serve that snail slime soup noodle. And that's not necessarily something that you very much associate with uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. But, but here you are. But usually they have pieces of fried chicken in the mix. So, you know, there's something to it. And a McDonald's menu is pretty much, they change a little bit around the edges, but but it's really like, you got the Big Mac, you got the Quarter Pounder, you got the cheeseburger, you got the filet fish you got the basic hamburger. The, the core of it is the same as everywhere else. They didn't do a lot of localization. And because of that, they weren't as successful. Anyway, went to Popeye's yesterday. I had the ghost pepper wings. They were not spicy. Yeah, man, that that Uber driver two days ago, he really, he really fucked me up. I wonder why. I think it's because of something of disconnection. I just felt so disconnected from him. Like, I just wish he could have told me, but he was like yelling at me like, you have to stand outside for this to work. And I was like, bro, you can just tell me to stand outside if you want me to stand outside. Like, I can follow instructions. I'm not going to fight you. He must have dealt with some angry people. And then when someone gets angry and they're in your car, it's kind of hard to get them out of your car. See, he must be, that must be his big fear. His big fear must be that there's a conflict and the guy's in your car. Like, because if the guy is standing next to your car, you can just floor it, you know? You can just leave. But when he gets, he must have been in some bad arguments with people where the person is sitting in his back seat because what are you going to do you're going to walk around the car and rip the person out of your out of your car man what else is going on there's the thing that happened that revealed something new to me about healthcare in America because I've always been fascinated with healthcare in America and how how poorly it's set up and how the payment system 
is seems to be the problem. Like this fee for service system where everyone is incentivized to give you as much care as possible, but you don't get the best care and it's very hard to pay for it and people end up paying an insane amount for the care and you know you could talk at length about what the problem is but but i am um, i've always been so confused by why is it so hard to fix it if you pull people everyone agrees that it's not good what we have and then Barack Obama got through a set of changes called the affordable care act you know people call it obamacare and looking back on it now, it's been a while, it's been like a decade, I think it's fair to say that it was not a huge change what happened there, the ACA. The ACA wasn't, Obamacare wasn't like a complete overhaul. And I think the people who came up with it viewed it as a first step where you were then supposed to tweak it and and adjust it so that it could be calibrated it was like a beginning where you set up these markets these marketplaces these exchanges these open exchanges anyway they never they were never allowed to tweak it at all and it doesn't work very well so i've always been so confused by why isn't it better for a democrat to run on we're going to change it. Why doesn't that person win in a landslide when they say we're going to fix it? And I think I'm realizing now how people actually see it because now for the first time I've had insurance for, I mean, I've had insurance for most of my five years in America, but now for the last two years, I've had like the same insurance and I have a primary care physician. Like I have a guy, Scott, Scott, Dr. Scott, Putty. His name is something else, but he, he, he the name on his card is something else, but he, he makes everyone call him Putty, and he's a good guy. He's a good doctor, and he, I've been to him now for all these different things, you know, like a little bit of mental health thing, maybe I could get a therapist here, you know, maybe a little bit of a problem here, a little bit of a, my shoulder hurts here, can I get this, you know, different problems, and every time I go see him, it's so clear that he takes a history and keeps the history and skims the history before seeing me and every time I see him he's like has this superhuman way of approaching me where he's like and he will ask you know how's the mental health you know how's the exercise how's the sobriety how's the novel and he just checks in with me in this very nice human way and he's part of this healthcare program it's called neighbor care health they have a couple of locations you become part of their system and then they can offer you basically all care within their couple of locations and then you know that it's all in the network for you it's all covered by your insurance there's a whole system and then the thing about all care in america that i was always so hung up on is that you never know what something going to cost like the first Five, six, seven times I interacted with healthcare in America, I would always ask, like, as I'm about to get the care or as I'm getting it or beforehand, I would ask, like, so how much is this going to cost? And then they don't have an answer for you ever. But what they tell you is, okay, but so you can call the insurance department, which is like the, the department at the hospital or clinic or whatever that deals with insurance companies. And then they can try to contact your insurance company and see what the insurance company will do with it. And then you can figure out what you're going to have to pay. But never, ever, in during those five, six, seven first times that I interacted with healthcare, did I find out what something was going to cost beforehand. The only time you find out is when you actually get the letter from your insurance company four months after the fact. Every time. That's the only way. And when you look at the politics of it and when you look at it as like a market and when you have a conversation about like, is this a functioning free market? That to me is the thing that makes it all fall apart. Because as a buyer of a service, as a customer, if you don't know the price, it's like if you don't know the price, what are you doing? Like, what kind of choice are you like yes you can decide which hospital to go to and which doctor to go to and whatever but none of them are going to tell you what the price is so what like 
Because the ultimate sort of like functioning perfect free market demands perfect information and information symmetry that everyone knows the same information and everyone has all the information. But what I'm realizing now for the first time is that if you are some sort of like functioning upper middle class or middle class or if you once you've gained a certain level of stability and you've figured out an insurance you know that you can go and get care and you're not going to get a crazy bill because you've done it before and just based on that you've done it before you're going to get an okay bill so so now when I when I went to South Carolina and got an ear infection and then went and saw a nice nurse over there and saw Dr. Scott and they just sort of like prescribed some antibiotics and cleaned my ear out I didn't ask how much it was going to cost because now I'm in the system and now I like have the correct expectations. Now I have the expectations of an American. Like no American walks in and is about to get care and asks how much it's going to cost. They know that that's not an, a, a valid question. They know that that's uh, not information that's available to anyone. It's a black box system, you know? What happened is I went and I got, I saw the doctor and they fixed my ear and everything was fine. And then I got the bill like a few days ago and as I was opening it, I wasn't that stressed out because I was trusting that it wasn't going to be very expensive. And it wasn't. It was like $15. The whole thing was like $15 times two. Now my insurance is expensive. I pay $385 a month for insurance just on the open market, you know. But because I pay $385, I have something that I can trust. And what I'm saying is that now for the first time, I understand why people don't want to change it. Because if you change it, you don't know that. And you don't have this thing you could trust anymore. So now for the first time, I have this feeling in me where I'm like, if they don't fix it, it's fine. Because I have figured out something for me that works. And that's how everyone feels. And that's why you have the most broken system in the world. And there isn't actually that, that much momentum to fix it. I mean, there's some momentum and whenever people are being good people and they take a long view and a big view on it, they, they can see that it should be fixed and it should be changed. But for most of the time, people just think about themselves and they think about how, well, it's a broken system, but I have figured out something that works for me. I have something I pay a lot of money for, but I can afford it and, and so forth. I mean, it also explains why, and this is not obvious to a foreigner, it explains why leading up to the passing of the ACA, of Obamacare, the whole conversation was very much centered on this phrase, keeping your doctor. Obama kept being like, you get to keep your doctor. And people were like, do I get to keep my doctor? And he's like, you get to keep your doctor. And then afterwards, you didn't get to keep your doctor. And every, all the Republicans are like, Obama said that you were going to keep your doctor. And that wasn't true. And that's what that means. It's like you have a thing. You've carved out a little hovel for yourself that works. And you're happy with your little, your little burrow. Even though it's like a nuclear wasteland out there, you made a little burrow for yourself. And... You just want to keep your doctor. Um, yeah, I don't know. Am I talking about the election? I don't think I'm talking about the election, but the election is about to happen. You know what I think is fascinating is that um, America is this complicated place like all countries. It's changing slowly, incrementally. And the election is really only a, the outcome of the election reflects the evolving opinions of a fairly small group. But all, even though all of that is true, it's impossible to not think of it in, in this really simplistic way. Like even in myself, like I think about how complicated it is, but then when I, what I feel is really simple, I just feel like the outcome of the election is this really simplified, singular, monolithic thing. Like, it is true that America has these groups that are constant and their opinions are fairly constant. Like, 30% of Americans don't give a shit about politics. 30% of Americans are on Team Blue. They vote Democrat. They have instincts that are 
center left, left, extreme left, whatever. And then 30% of Americans are on team red. And those groups are what they are, you know. And they change slowly, little, little bit over time. And then the election is decided by, you know, 5,000 soccer moms in Wisconsin or 2,000 suburban moms in Florida. And the results of the election reflect what those moms think. The results of the election do not in any way reflect the evolving opinions of people in the state of Washington, for example, where I live. But still, I can feel it in myself how I need a certain election result and the result of the election, the two possible outcomes will give birth to two different narratives. And neither of those narratives are connected to reality, but I, I can't change that. I, they, it, it is how I will feel. If Donald Trump becomes reelected, then that means that he speaks to the soul of America, of all of America. And then that means that this is what Americans want. And a sort of America first view of the world is how Americans look at the world. And this is what Americans want. And if Joe Biden wins, then that means that Donald Trump was a fluke, that he never spoke to the soul of America, that he was nothing. It means that he never existed because it means that the only reason he was ever president is because of this series of improbable events where in the Republican primaries in 2016, he never got more than 30%, blah, 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 you know? It was this very specific set of circumstances that led to him becoming the nominee. And then he had this really weak person that he was running against, Hillary Clinton, who had like manipulated the Democrat machine to make herself the nominee because she just sent this memo out to all Democrats and was like, no one gets to run. I will be the nominee. And the only people who had the balls to run against her were, you know some Irish mayor from a nameless town and Bernie Sanders. So Hillary won the nomination, even though she had already tried in 2008 and it was clear to everyone that she didn't connect with voters through television set, blah, blah, blah. All of those things were necessary for Donald Trump to win and he wasn't actually speaking to anything meaningful. Like that narrative is not true. Those two narratives that will happen the day after the election when we have the results, those narratives don't make sense because in reality, it's this, I mean, I don't, I, I think a, a thing that really exasperates this is how um, the winner-take-all, first-past-the-post format that you do in the American presidential election does not help. It's a big part of the problem. And the two-party system, it's a big part of the problem. It just makes the whole thing feel so singular and monolithic when in reality, it's not. But I don't know, maybe there is a soul to the whole thing and maybe there is a, I don't know, whatever. I feel it so strongly in myself, these like really unrealistic stories. These stories are not connected to reality, but these stories are how I feel about it and... Um, it's hard to avoid. It's hard to stay away from those stories. Anyway, maybe we should go to the water. Today, I'm doing mango. All right, mango. We're going to start simple. Soleil by Signature Select, the basic one from QFC, grocery store, in-house brand. Naturally flavored mango passion fruit, sparkling water beverage. Sparkling water beverage. I love that you have to put the word beverage after water. Because you know, hey, what if it's uh, water which is not a beverage? It smells like passion fruit more than mango. God damn, that's cold. Passion fruit is a little bit of a boring flavor. It sounds good. It's a nice sounding word. Passion fruit. It looks nice visually, passion fruit. But as a flavor, 
it's a little bit just bitter, kind of flat, not super zesty or interesting. There is a Talking Rain has a passion fruit sparkling water, which is caffeinated, that I fooled myself into buying several times just because the idea of passion fruit, it just sounds so nice. But then when I drink it, it's it's just kind of bitter and, and uninteresting. And, and it's kind of just like a flat, uninteresting flavor. And this is a little bit like that, but a little bit weaker. And there's a hint, the tiniest hint of mango in the background there. Yeah, I, I'm going to be honest. This is probably just a five. Even though I really like mango and there is some mango in the profile there. It's really fizzy though. Okay, what is that? What is that? Is that a five? That's a five. Anyway, next water. Bubbly mango. It's a beautiful can. It's just like a, it's just an orange with a deeper, darker, with dots of a deeper, darker orange. It's so simple. The bubblies are generally a little bit it's not really watery enough for me, but oh, that's a nice, much, much, much more natural flavor. Eh, smell. It's much more like um, it's like the actual flesh of a of a mango, and it's a little bit reminding me of. There are a couple of different types of mango, and there are these smaller ones that are more popular in Asia that. Usually, I'm pretty sure in English they're called champagne mangoes. They're smaller, and they're sweeter, and they have a fresher flavor. They they just taste more like mango, honestly. But um, this smells a little bit like that, so let's try it. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. Bubbly mango. I think that just broke into my top ten. It's not like the best I've ever had, but... But it's somewhere in the top 10. They didn't fuck it up. There's all this like funny cutesy copy on the can. Like on the tab that you crack it open with. It says, hey, spelled H-A-A-Y-Y. Which if the flavor then was bad after you've done that, that makes it so annoying. But when the flavor is good and you have copy like that, it's okay. And on the can here, it says love at first. Pshht. Same thing. If the... If the beverage inside the can is then bad, then cutesy copy like that becomes unbearable. But the flavor is good, so then you just accept the whole thing. It's a nice-looking can. It's got cutesy copy on it, and it's delicious. Ah, the branding suddenly becomes a bonus point. I'm going to have to give this an 8.5 just because I really like it. Mango. I really like mango. Just actual mango dice it up, throw it in with some vanilla ice cream, you know, or just eating a mango, take a mango, figure out the angle of the pit, just lop off the whole chunk of flesh, like half of the mango, and then score it in that sort of uh, checkered pattern, turn it inside out and just get these like pillars of perfect juicy mango flesh. What's better than that? It's so good. All right, last one here. So this one is called Sanzo, is the name of the brand. Now, there's a little bit of a story here where I emailed these guys three months ago and was like, hey, I have a sparkling water podcast. Do you want to send me a sample? And they didn't respond, okay? And then so many other companies responded that I, I mean, I didn't think about it and I have enough water to, yeah, I have a lot of water. Even though I thought that it, the, the product looked really good, really interesting, interesting branding, very interesting sounding flavors, but they didn't even email me back. And then a month ago, Marissa's friend Abby saw an ad for this um, sparkling water on Instagram and tagged me in a comment and wrote, hey, Shouldn't you try this on the pod? And then here's what I did. I responded to her comment and said, yeah, I reached out to them and asked for samples, but they didn't get back to me. And then I wrote hashtag boycott Sanzo, you know? 
which was a sort of joke. But they took it really seriously and sent me three emails apologizing and commented on under my comments several times and was like, Oh, we're so sorry. We're so busy. We must have missed your email. Oh, so sorry. So sorry. They don't want to be boycotted, you know? And then the, the guy reaches out to me, the, the CEO and founder. And first of all, his name is his name is hilariously close to the company name. Hold on. Okay, okay, okay. So his name is his name is Sandro Rocco. His last name is Rocco, and his first name is Sandro. And so he, he, his name is Sandro, and he came up with the Sparkling Water Company, and he named it Sanzo, okay? So that hints at a little bit of narcissism, which I know because I'm clearly a narcissist because I have a podcast where I just sort of talk about myself for an hour every single week. <laughs> so, so, you know, real recognize real, let's be honest. And I felt bad. Because I did, I just commented on the internet as a sort of joke and said boycott Sanzo. And, and it's, I don't know, it's a little bit like that, the guy who posted the Popeyes thing. It's like you can just, on the internet, there's this feeling like you can just write and do whatever. You feel like there won't be consequences to anything. But there are consequences sometimes. You write something in the internet. Some guy ends up biking up and down the street for four hours looking for a chicken place that doesn't exist, you know? Things happen. People, people's feelings get hurt, you know? Oh, bubbly mango. How good is that? It's incredible. 8.5. So I wrote that thing, Boycott Sanzo, and hashtag Boycott Sanzo. And he immediately reacted with a fear response that that hashtag was going to blow up. Uh, even though he hadn't done anything wrong. All I'm saying is he didn't give me free stuff. Then they say, okay, we're going to send you some samples. And then I, t I, in, I comment again and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm very, thank you. You know, I say thank you. I can't even remember what I said, but I, I tried to smooth it over. I tried to make it clear that I was just joking the whole time. But I don't think it went over very well. Let me read you his email, actually. Hey, Joachim. Sandro, the founder of Sanzo here. Saw your comment on Instagram, and my apologies for the delayed response. It's been quite hectic here, and, my, and I must have lost your email in the fray. <laughs> Good use of the word fray, Sa Sandro. <laughs> fray. Such a good word. <laughs> oh, my God. Email got lost in the fray. Just put through a sampler pack order for you. You should get it within the... The next few days. Apologies again. And thank you for supporting our be brand. Best Sandro. <laughs> oh, it's so funny to me, dude. Anyway. Anyway. So. They have three flavors. One of them is called calamansi. Isn't that an interesting sounding fruit? Yeah, the, th the three flavors are... Calamansi, which is, you know, I guess we'll learn what that fruit is when we get to that episode. Um, lychee, which is, I've never tried a lychee-flavored sparkling water, but I love lychees. Love them. Oh, I love the lychee martini we had at Sushi Capitamura. I actually had a lot of lychee martinis in, back in Asia, but lychee, man, versatile, versatile. Delicious as a juice, delicious in a beverage form. Doesn't really stand up very well in, as a flavoring agent for non-beverage stuff, but great as a fruit as is, very good in beverage form. So high expectations for that episode. And then the third flavor is mango. And what it says is mango, parenthesis, Alfonso. And that's I'm 90% sure that that's what I just called a champagne mango. Whoa, it's not. Oh my God, <clears throat> you learned so much on this podcast. The smaller ones that you find in Asia a lot are called atalfo or champagne mangoes. 
These bright yellow smaller mangoes were given the name champagne mangoes partially for marketing purposes and also for their perky flavor. The taste is sweet and creamy with a firm flesh that is excellent grilled, roasted, or served straight. What? Grilled or roasted? What are you talking about? Anyway, the bubbly mango smells a lot like the champagne mango. Atolfo mango. Real nice. And then Alfonso. This Indian variety is a mild-flavored, firm-fleshed mango that can range from purple to yellow skin with an oblong shape. It doesn't find its way to the United States too often. However, if you come across one, you should take it home immediately and enjoy it with a spoon or use it to garnish a cocktail. That's what the spruce says about mangoes, okay? Um, Third-party source. And then here's what Zanso themselves say about the Alfonso mango. Dubbed the king of mangoes, the Indian Alfonso mangoes are often considered the best on earth. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Radiant orange, sweeter and less fibrous than its counterparts. You'll taste South Asia in one sip. See, that's what I like about the Zanso. It, the branding says the first Asian-inspired sparkling water. That's what they say. I'm into that. Asian-inspired sparkling water, you know? Do I not talk about Asia constantly? I do, you know? Sparkling water, and here we are. So, um, calamansi and lychee seem slightly more exotic, and we're starting with this. We're starting with the mango. Oh, I'm excited. Beautiful can. Beautiful design. Narcissistic brand name. What else could you ask for? totally different smell wow does not smell sweet at all smells like dude almost smells like seafood (laughs) what is going on in this can (laughs) why does it smell salty it smells like a potato chip it smells like a mango flavored potato chip mango shrimp flavored potato chip I don't understand what's happening here. I am confused, but I'm going to see if it tastes anything like that. What the heck is going on here? Yeah, I mean, look, if you blind tasted me on this and asked me what fruit does this taste like, mango would not be my first guess. It's almost like it's salty apple juice. It's like a shrimp barbecue potato chip flavor. I don't know why. I don't know why I'm experiencing it as a salty barbecue potato chip flavor. I don't know why. The dissonance is uncomfortable. Like if the if it was just branded as salty shrimp potato chip flavored sparkling water, I would drink it and I would be like, "Huh, that's pretty watery and refreshing and a little bit salty and it's got a certain ocean wind kind of quality to it." And 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 it's not too bad. But when I'm looking for mango and expecting mango and maybe a little bit of sweetness, there's an uncomfortable disconnect in my mind. It's not bad, but it is a little bit confusing. And yeah, I don't know. Mr. Rocco, I don't know what to, I don't know. I um, I look forward to the other two. I hope I like the other two a little bit more. This has... This has a little bit of a shrimpiness to it that I don't understand. But um, I'm going to have to give this a six. I feel like there's something wrong in my brain the way I'm experiencing this. I don't know. It's a six. It's got like this wood, like salty dock wood. I don't know what they did with this mango. Um, but I'm going to call an episode there. <clears throat> and it's like, I mean, I maybe if I had a guest here and I had someone to verify that I'm not crazy, maybe I would give it a lower score. But since I'm alone here, I'm just going to be cautious and give it like a middling score. I'm finishing the whole can, though. It is a very Asian flavor, actually, because you don't really get a shrimp flavored, like crunchy snack salty shrimps flavored um, starchy snack so much around here but it is like something from 
the snack aisles of Asia, you know? Yeah, I don't know what else to tell you. That's what I tasted, okay? And my experience is valid. You know, I might be wrong, but I'm not wrong about my own experience. Yeah, we're going to call it an episode there. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And that was our mango review of three mango-flavored mango waters. Mango passion fruit from Soleil by Signature Select. Mango from Bubbly. And mango from Sanso. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And that brings us to our closing segment. Sparkling water, sparkling mind. Sparkling life, sparkling world. Sparkling boy, sparkling girl. Sparkling birth, sparkling death. Sparkling Trafalgar, sparkling Amalgar. Sparkling Amalgam, sparkling Malcolm. Sparkling Malcolm, Sparkling Malcor, Sparkling Rancor, Sparkling Macor, Sparkling Elohim, Sparkling Joachim, Sparkling Nothing, Sparkling Panic, Sparkling Everything, Sparkling You, Sparkling Me, Sparkling Stress, Sparkling Life, Sparkling Death, Sparkling Death, Sparkling Death, Sparkling Awake, Sparkling Awake, Sparkling Awake, Go to Sparkling Sleep, Now.